because their work is holy. And each of the angels has a specific target for the contents of their vial. The earth dwellers have already suffered through the seal judgments and through the trumpet judgments. And the final series of judgments will climax God's plan leading to Babylon's fall and to the return of the Lord Jesus Christ to this earth. So I want us to look tonight at these seven vials as we have time. First of all, vial number one in verse number two, you find grievous sores that are going to be brought upon the earth. Verse two says, And the first went, the first of these seven angels, went and poured out his vial upon the earth, and there fell a noisome and grievous sore upon the men which had the mark of the beast, and upon them which worshipped his image. Now this noisome and grievous sore breaks out on all of the people who worship the Antichrist, those who have received his mark in their forehead and on their right hand. And we see the importance of the mention of the company of the faithful who sing the song of the Lamb. In fact, if you look back to the chapter before, look at chapter 15 and verses 2 and 3. He says, I saw as it were a sea of glass mingled with fire, and them that had gotten the victory over the beast, and over his image, and over his mark, and over the number of his name, stand on the sea of glass having the harps of God. And they sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and marvelous are thy works, Lord God Almighty, and just and true are thy ways, thou King of saints." So here in chapter 16, when this first angel pours out his vial, it, this noisome and grievous sore comes on those that have worshipped the image of the beast and who have the mark of the beast. So it is not upon those who have the mark of the Lord Jesus Christ and those who have had victory over the beast and over his image. The believers that pass through the tribulation time, and there will be many believers, there will be many that will come to know Christ. We know at the rapture, the believers are going to be taken up. So there's going to be a great revival, and many will be saved during that tribulation time. But many also will reject, and those who have rejected are those who are going to be suffering in this, this judgment that comes. I'm thankful for the immunity of those who are believers. Barnhouse, Donald Barnhouse said in his commentary, he said, those upon whom the wrath of God falls are merely experiencing, as it were, the first of the eternal torments, as though standing on the brink of the lake of fire. A few high tongues of its flames have leaped up to torture them. Kind of an interesting view and an interesting description of this torment. This vile judgment reminds us of the sixth plague that comes upon Egypt. If you remember, we talked about the fact that the tribulation is God primarily dealing with the nation of Israel. And he's preparing Israel to come to the point where they accept Christ as the true and the living Messiah. They are familiar with these plagues, what took place with Moses back in the book of Exodus. They're familiar with that. And so this plague reminds them of the sixth plague in Egypt. Remember that there in those plagues, it was only the Egyptians that suffered. God's people, the Israelites, were protected. They were down in the land of, of Goshen. And there was no judgment on them. The judgment was on the Egyptians. And so it will be during the tribulation. The judgment will of this particular judgment will be on those who have rejected Christ and who have followed the Antichrist. So 
God's people were protected in the Old Testament, they'll be protected again during the tribulation period. It's appropriate that this grievous sore would be the first of these seven judgments. Medically speaking, a sore is an outward sign of some type of inward corruption. The corruption of the hearts of these rebels is now going to be manifested, and this literal sore symbolizes their abomination and their rebellion against Almighty God in their worship of Satan. Listen to what Matthew 23 says in verse 27 and 28. It says, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For ye are likened to whited sepulchres, which indeed appear beautiful outward, but are within full of dead men's sores, and of all uncleanness. Even so ye also outwardly appear righteous unto men, but within ye are full of hypocrisy and iniquity. So here in Revelation, as these judgments are coming upon the people, it will be an outward manifestation, you might say, of what's going on inside of them, their iniquity, their rejection, their rebellion. Look at verses, number, verses 10 and 11 of our, of our text, chapter 16. Verse 10, it says, The fifth angel poured out his vial upon the seed of the beast, and his kingdom was full of darkness, and they gnawed their tongues for pain, and blasphemed the God of heaven because of their pains and their sores, and repented not of their deeds. So here are those who have experienced the sores, and evidently these sores at the beginning of the chapter have not disappeared. They're still there. They're still being carried on. And in verse 11, they, they are still experiencing that pain that they had there. And it did not cause them to repent. It did not cause them to turn from their sin to the, to the true God of heaven. You know, constant pain, those of you who are in constant pain, and some of you are, some of you are in constant pain, some of you give constant pain. But anyway, you're somewhere in, the, in, in that. But if you're in constant pain, you live in, in that all the time, you, you'll agree with me, it affects your disposition, doesn't it? It affects the way you act towards other people. And oftentimes, people that are in constant pain, unfortunately, can't get along with other people because they're constantly suffering. On a few occasions, you meet somebody who's in constant pain, and they just seem to have the sweetest spirit. And those are the kind of people that have great testimonies, but that's not oftentimes true. Pain and suffering causes us sometimes, unfortunately, to be unkind and, and mean and, and hard towards other people. These folks in Revelation are going to have that kind of a spirit. They're, they're going to be mean, and, and it's not going to be a good place to live. So the, the first vial is the grievous sores. The second vial, vial 2, is found in verse 3. The sea is turned to blood. Verse 3 says, And the second angel poured out his vial upon the sea, and it became as the blood of a dead man, and every living soul died in the sea. Now, in Moses' day, you remember, it was the Nile River that was turned to blood. Now, it's the sea itself here in Revelation chapter 16. You can almost see the retreating waves of the sea and those waves of blood as they are on the coast, littering the sand, not with the beautiful shells that you pick up along the seashore, but with the rotting carcasses of dead fish. That has, has to be a terrible thing to see and to experience. From time to time, off the coasts of California and Florida, they have a, a phenomenon known as the red tide that occurs. These red tides, tides kill millions of fish 
and poison those that eat the contaminated shellfish. In 1949, one of these red ties hit the coast of Florida. They said that there were 60 miles of stinking fish lining the beach. That's not a very pretty sight, is it, or a kind thing to think about. Much of the marine life was wiped out. Even, they said, the bait that was used by fishermen died on their hooks. Eventually, the red tide subsided, only to appear again the following year. Scientists do not know what causes this red tide. One theory is, is it's caused when cobalt in an area of water reaches a certain density. Using the sea as a dumping place that many do today for nuclear waste may one day raise the cobalt level to a point that triggers a vast red tide. That may not be how, how God does this. It may not explain how God does it, but it certainly illustrates it. And we can see how that can well take place. God obviously can do anything he wants. And there will be this time when the vial is poured out and when the sea becomes blood. And then the third vial is in verses 4 through 7. The sea in verse 3 becomes blood. In verses 4 through 7, the rivers are turned to blood. It says in verse 4, the third angel poured out his vial upon the rivers and fountains of water and they became blood. Can you imagine going across the Ohio River and it's blood? That would be terrible, wouldn't it? It says they became blood. It's interesting, verse 3 says they became as the blood of dead men. Verse 4 says they became blood. Verse 5, I heard the angel of the water say, Thou art righteous, O Lord, which art and wast and shall be, because thou, thou hast judged thus. For they have shed the blood of saints and prophets, and thou hast given them blood to drink, for they are worthy. Notice the reality of this judgment in verse number 4. The reality, the third angel pours out his vial, the rivers and fountains of water became blood. This ecological disaster in the sea was bad enough, but now when the rivers and the lakes and the fountains of waters and the streams are corrupted and become blood as well. Back in Egypt, all of the sources of fresh water were turned to blood. And when the plague was given, again, they recognized, the, the Jewish people, the nation of Israel, recognized this plague and they relate to what they have been taught and what they have heard from Moses' day. It's interesting, the Lord's first miracle was to turn the water into wine. Now he turns water into blood. Look at the righteousness of this judgment in verses 5 and 6. He says, I heard the angel of the water say, Thou art righteous, O Lord, which art and wast and shall be, because thou hast judged righteous. This angel is speaking to Jesus. He says, Thou art righteous, O Lord, which art and wast and shall be, because thou hast judged thus. It is Jesus that is described as, O Lord, which art and wast and shall be. These judgments are righteous. Jesus is righteous in everything that he does. Amen? Amen? He's always righteous. He's always just. And so it is he that is seeing them. Until believers see things as the word of God sees them, then the understanding of why is missed and justice is not served. God is a righteous God. And God has to deal with things in a righteous way. His judgments, regardless of what they are, they are always righteous. There is no fault in him.
who was past, present, and future. The beast and his followers have shed the blood of martyrs and rivers, and now they are given blood to drink. Verse 6 says, For they have shed the blood of saints and prophets, and thou hast given them blood to drink, for they are worthy. Genesis chapter 9 and verse 6 says, Whoso sheddeth man's blood, by man shall his blood be shed. For the image of God, in the image of God, made he man. God established way back in Genesis the, the, the death penalty. A person who sheds man's blood, he said, by, by man shall his blood be shed. There is a biblical basis for the death penalty. And so don't be alarmed when you see the world push back against that and try to, try to get rid of the death penalty. But God's going to carry that out again here in Revelation. He said, these are the ones who, who shed the blood of saints and prophets, and therefore, he says, he's given them but blood to drink. And the last part of that says, for they are worthy. They are worthy. God always allows them to reap what they have sown in a righteous way. In God's government, punishment always fits the crime. If you think about it for a moment, Pharaoh, you remember Pharaoh tried to drown the babies, those that were the male babies that were born to the Israelites. He had them throw them into the Nile River and drown them. But guess what happened? It was his own army that eventually drowned in the Red Sea. God's judgment that he brought upon them was fitting for the crime that had been committed. Haman planned to hang Mordecai on the gallows to exterminate the Jews, but he himself was hanged in the gallows, and then his own family was exterminated. King Saul refused to obey God and to, to wipe out the Amalekites, and, and, and King Saul later was slain by an Amalekite that he should have had killed and put to death. Here in Revelation, they have refused the salvation that would come from the blood of the Lamb, from the blood of the one who could give them life. They now receive condemnation from the blood that symbolizes death. And then I want you to also notice the response to this judgment. What was their response? Verse 7 says, I heard another out of the altar say, Even so, Lord God Almighty, true and righteous are thy judgments. The structure of the text seems to indicate that it is the altar itself that speaks. It says, I heard another out of the altar, but it, it appears that the altar is speaking as well. And the altar refers to the brazen altar back in, in the Old Testament. It was the altar of consuming judgment, the fires that were burned there in a ceaseless flame. And it is beneath this altar that we find in Revelation, the souls of them that were slain for the faith in Christ are there. The altar seems to shout amen to the judgment of God. The Bible begins with a martyrdom, with the blood of Abel crying out to the Lord for vengeance. And now the altar cries out almost with a glad and thankful endorsement of the true and righteous judgments of God. God has brought the blood upon the sea and upon the rivers. And God has said, you have shed blood, and I'll give you blood as a result. Then there's a fourth vial that's given to us in verses 8 and 9. He says in verse number 8, And the fourth angel poured out a vial upon the sun, and power was given unto him to scorch men with fire. This is the great heat from the sun. He says in verse 9, Men were scorched with great heat, 
and blasphemed the name of God, which hath power over these plagues, and they repented not to give him glory. Now, I, I, I hate to say this tonight, but I do believe in global warming. But not like the scientists and the politicians of today that use fake science to gain more power over humanity. But rather the fact that God one day is going to scorch man with great heat. There will be a time when there will be global, global warming on this earth. And what is damning to the Christ rejectors is what they will say about God's holy name when this judgment comes. In verse number 9 it says, They blaspheme the name of God which hath power over these plagues. It seems like common sense would say cry out to God for mercy. But that's not what they did. You would think that they would fall down before God. You would think that they would repent. But instead, their hearts were hardened, and their hardened heart would not allow them to do so. This world that we live in today has become hard-hearted, hasn't it? And it seems like it becomes more difficult for men to cry out and to repent. They've become much like what Paul talks about in Romans, 20, Romans chapter 1. It says that they do not like to even retain God in their knowledge. And it's sad in our nation, even in our Congress, that there are those that don't even want anything to do with God, don't want anything to do with His will. They don't care about His will. Some even deny that He ever existed. Others try to replace them with the false gods of the world. If there is no God, then why do people use His name in vain? If there is no God, then why does the atheist need to try to disprove him or say that he does not exist? Verse number 9 goes on to say, They repented not to give him glory. You see, repentance is absolutely necessary for salvation. The Lord said, Except ye repent, ye shall all likewise perish. All men are commanded to repent. In Acts 17 and verse 13 it says, In the times of this ignorance God winked at, but now commandeth all men everywhere to repent. All earthly life depends upon the sun. In previous judgments, a part of the sun has been dimmed. Now the heat of the sun is increased here in chapter 16. Any of you who have been in the desert... For any length of time, you know how merciless the heat of the sun can be. Remember, too, that when this heat of the sun is coming down, what's already happened to the water? It's been turned to blood, hasn't it? You can imagine how people suffer from the heat, but also from the thirst. And this fourth messenger pours out his bowl of, bowl of wrath upon the sun. There's an important teaching here with regards to the sun. You see, the origin of sun worship came in the plain of Shinar, and it takes place all the way back in the book of Genesis. In Genesis 10, verses 8 and 9 and 10, it says, And Cush begat Nimrod, and he began to be a mighty one in the earth. He was a mighty hunter before the Lord. Wherefore, it is said, even as Nimrod, the mighty hunter before the Lord, in the beginning of his kingdom was Babel, and Erech, and Akkad, and Kalna, and the land of Shinar. The name Nimrod means to rebel. In its biblical form, it means we will rebel. We will rebel. The sun was first worshipped by Nimrod, 
and his followers on the plain of Shinar. And Babylon was the site of the first temple to the sun. This is the apostasy that led to the confusion of the, of the tongues and to the scattering of mankind. Go back with me a moment to Genesis chapter 11, if you would, and look at verse number 1 with me. Genesis chapter 11 and verse number 1. It's an easy book to find. It's the first book of the Bible. Genesis chapter 11, and look at verse number 1. And it says there, And the whole earth was of one language and of one speech. And it came to pass as they journeyed from the east that they found a plain in the land of Shinar, and they dwelt there. And they said one to another, Go to, let us make brick and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone, and slime had they for mortar. And they said, Go to, let us build us a city and a tower whose top may reach unto heaven. And let us make us a name, lest we be scattered abroad upon the face of the whole earth. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of men builded. And the Lord said, Behold, the people is one, and they have all one language. And this they began to do. And now nothing will be restrained from them which they have imagined to do. Go to, let us go down, and there confound their language, that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord scattered them abroad from thence upon the face of all the earth, and they left off to build the city. Therefore is the name of it called Babel, because the Lord did there confound the language of all the earth, and from thence did the Lord scatter abroad upon the face of the earth. Look back again at verse number 4. He says in verse 4, They said, Go to, let us build us a city and a tower whose top may reach unto heaven, and let us make us a name, lest we be scattered abroad upon the face of the whole earth. At the top of this tower, we're told, was a representation of the sun and the moon and the stars. Sun worship became the rallying point of Satan's attack on the truth of God. And that is why God announces his judgment in Revelation on the sun and upon the Satan from which the idea of sun worship came. And later you'll see the, de the destruction of Babylon that grew out of Satan's ideas of the, of the Tower of Babel. Go back again, if you would, with me to the Old Testament and look at Deuteronomy chapter 4 and verses 19 and 20. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Look at Deuteronomy chapter 4 and verse number 19. Deuteronomy 4, verses 19 and 20. And he says there, he says, Unless thou lift up thine eyes unto heaven, and when thou seest the sun and the moon and the stars, even all the hosts of heaven, shouldest be driven to worship them and serve them, which the Lord thy God hath divided into all nations under the whole heaven. But the Lord hath taken you and brought you forth out of the iron furnace, even out of Egypt, to be unto him a people of inheritance, as ye are this day. Go over to chapter 17. He warns them there in chapter 4 about the worship of the sun and the moon and the stars. In Deuteronomy chapter 17, look at verse number 1. Deuteronomy 17, verse 1. Thou shalt not sacrifice unto the Lord thy God any bullock or sheep wherein is blemish, or any evil favoredness, for that is an abomination unto the Lord thy God. If there be found any among you within any of the gates which the Lord thy God giveth thee, man or woman, 
that hath wrought wickedness in the sight of the Lord thy God in transgressing his covenant, and hath gone and served other gods and worshipped them, either the sun or the moon or any other of the hosts of heaven which I have not commanded, and it be told thee, and thou hast heard of it, and inquired diligently, and behold, it be true, and the thing certain that such abomination is wrought in Israel. Verse 5, he says, Then thou shalt bring forth that man or woman which have committed that wicked thing unto thy gates, even that man or that woman, and shall stone them with stones till they die. What a powerful judgment God brought on the nation of Israel, the people of Israel, when they turned to worship the sun and the moon and the stars. Go a few more pages over to 2 Kings chapter 17. 2 Kings chapter 17, and look at verse number 9. 2 Kings 17 and verse 9, and he talks there in 2 Kings 17 about the high places. The high places were the sun altars that they built. 2 Kings 17 and verse number 9, he says, And the children of Israel did secretly those things that were not right against the Lord their God, and they built them high places in all their cities, from the tower of the watchman to the fenced city, and they set them up images and groves in every high hill and under every green tree, and there they burned incense in all the high places, as did the heathen whom the Lord carried away before them and wrought wicked things to provoke the Lord to anger. Drop down to verse 16 of that same chapter, Second Kings 17, verse 16. And they left all the commandments of the Lord their God, and made them molten images, even two calves, and made a grove, and worshipped all the hosts of heaven, and served Baal. Baal was the sun god. Verse 17, And they caused their sons and their daughters to pass through the fire, and used divination and enchantments, and sold themselves to do evil in the sight of the Lord, to provoke him to anger. Now, with all of that in mind, it is easy for us to understand why there should be a judgment upon mankind that included the Son. This is the final stage in the battle which began as a result of the rebellion of Satan all the way back in the book of Genesis. Men are taught that the very things in which they have trusted, the very things in which they have given their worship to, are to be the sources of their most terrible punishment that God brings upon the earth during the tribulation time. There's a fifth vial that is poured out in verses 10 and 11. He says in verse 10, And the fifth angel poured out his vial upon the seat of the beast, and his kingdom was full of darkness. And They gnawed with their tongues, they gnawed their tongues for pain, and blasphemed the God of heaven because of their pains and their sores, and repented not of their deeds. Now again, this is not worldwide darkness. Only the beast, the throne, and the kingdom, his kingdom, are affected by it. That reminds us again of the plagues, in this particular case, the ninth plague of Moses in Exodus chapter 10. Where is the throne of the beast? We're talking about the darkness at the, at the throne. The throne of the beast is in the temple of Jerusalem, so that has to be the center of his operation. Why, when God sent this ninth plague to Egypt, you remember the entire land of Egypt was in darkness, but there was not darkness in the land of Goshen where God's people were. At this judgment, darkness reigns at the headquarters of the beast in Jerusalem but there's light in the rest of the world. Since men have chosen spiritual darkness 
God allows them to be scorched by the sun and then brings darkness, and they have scorned the light of the world, which the Lord is the Lord Jesus Christ. In a sense, he's saying to them, you've, you've rejected the light, and so I'll give you the darkness that you want. And that darkness was like the darkness in Egypt. It was so dark that it could be felt. Now, when we go out at nighttime and it's dark, we, around the city here, we have street lights. If you're out in the country, you, you have the moon and you have the, you have the light of the stars and so forth. But every now and then you get in a situation where it is just dark. It's pitch dark. This is a darkness that's so dark, the Bible says, that it could be felt. And I believe it is but a foretaste of the blackness of darkness forever that Jude chapter 13 talks about that will be their eternal condition because they've rejected the Lord Jesus Christ. Men will squirm in that terrible darkness, that horrible darkness, gnawing their tongues for the pain of the terrible sores on their bodies, verse 11 tells us. The darkness that will come. I don't know about you, but I don't like darkness. I like light. At our condo at nighttime, I leave the porch light on. I want some light. We had some of our, some of our grandkids visit with us uh, uh, last week, and, and they stayed downstairs. We have our, our bedroom upstairs, and they, all the lights were out, and and I'd, I would either come down after they went to bed or before I went to bed, we have a little night light in the kitchen. I'd turn that light on. I want some light on. I don't want it to be pitch dark. I like, the, I like the light. For one thing, if somebody breaks in, I want to see them. I want to see what I'm shooting at and uh, make sure it's a legitimate target. But uh, I like light. I, this is going to be a terrible time when there's just there's darkness. The sixth vial is given to us in verses 12 through 16. He says in verse 12, The sixth angel poured out his vial upon the great river Euphrates, and the water thereof was dried up, and the way of the kings of the east might be prepared. You see, the time has come now for the fighting of the final war of Armageddon. The Holy Land has been chosen by God as the stage upon which true crucial events will take place. One on a mountain, the other on a plain. Mount Calvary and the plain of Megiddo. There are the two altars of sacrifice that dominate the history of the world. On Mount Calvary, we know our Savior was crucified. Grace redeemed the world by the sacrifice of the Son of God. On the plains of Megiddo, vengeance offers up the armies of the world in a sacrifice of doom. Both are bloodbaths. Both are the descent of wrath upon sin. Both are brought about by God's bitter, bitterest foes who work out, despite themselves, God's perfect and sovereign will. From each proceeds a supper. One, a feast of remembrance of God's people. We celebrated that this morning with communion. The other, a feast of re retribution for the enemies of God. At Calvary, there, ran, there literally rang up to the gates of heaven, a victorious cry as Jesus cried from the cross, It is finished. At Armageddon there rings down to the earth an answering cry from the temple gates in glory saying, It is done. Now we're told three things about these armies. First of all, we're told where these armies are delayed. Where they're delayed, verse number 12 says, 
The sixth angel poured out his vial upon the great river Euphrates, and the waters thereof are dried up, that the way of the kings of the east might be prepared. The great river Euphrates stood as a hindrance to the armies converging on the capital, on Jerusalem, the capital of the beast. This barrier, Euphrates River, here in Revelation 16, is now removed in verse number 12. It is dried up, he tells us. And now, China and India and Japan and the other eastern powers will unite. The industrial might of Japan has welded the manpower and the nuclear know-how of China and all of the manpower of the east. At last, the awakened millions of Asians see their way clear to avenge themselves against the hated power of the West. Don't ever forget that they're going to come against Israel. That's why we've seen all this anti-Semitism through the years. They still hate the nation of Israel. They still hate the people of God, the Israelites. And then notice why these armies are diluted in verses 13 and 14. He says, I saw three unclean spirits like frogs come up out of the mouth of the dragons, and out of the mouth of the beast, and out of the mouth of the false prophet. For they are the spirits of devils, working miracles, which go forth unto the kings of the earth and of the whole world, to gather them to the battle of that great day of God Almighty. These armies, in this one particular verse, contains what we would call hell's trinity. God has a trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. All three members of the unholy trinity are listed here, the unholy union. They are called unclean spirits. And they're given to us here in this passage of Scripture. They are not human. They are a part of the spirit realm. They are fallen angels, those who have followed Satan and have rejected God himself. Each of these spirits comes out of the mouth of one of hell's trinities. The dragon is Satan himself who wants to replace God. In Isaiah 14 and verse 4, he said, I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High God. And then the beast is the Antichrist, and he wants to replace the Lord Jesus Christ. In 2 Thessalonians 2 and verse 4, it says, Who opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called God, or that is worshipped, so that he as God sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. And then the third is the false prophet, who is also a beast, and he wants to replace the Holy Spirit. These three will do their collective bid to overthrow the world and to defeat God and defeat his army, then establish the devil's kingdom on earth. They are aware of Armageddon, and they are making preparation for it. They are gathering together the nations of the world to come and fight against Almighty God. They will have zero victory at Armageddon when the Godhead shows up and defeats them. Aren't you glad we know the last chapter, and we know the end of the story. Notice there is the permissive will of God that is seen here. These demons summon countless armies of the world against God. And God allows them to do that. He permits that. But then there's also the purposeful will of God. He doesn't just permit the gathering of the nations. He plans it. Look at what he says in verse 15. Behold, I come as a thief. Blessed is he that watcheth and keepeth his garments, lest he walk naked and they see his shame. God says, I come as a thief. He allows them to gather together these armies 
And the suffering saints on earth are told of his coming immediately. He says that we're to watch, keep our garments. In verse 16, he says he gathered them together in the place called in the Hebrew tongue Armageddon. Where are these armies deployed? They're deployed in Armageddon. They're deployed to decide once and for all who will control the world, who will be in charge. Time and time again, the central theme of Armageddon is given in the Bible. That is where all evil is headed, and that is where all evil meet up with the Lord Jesus Christ himself. It will be the greatest battle of all times. It's called the great day in the Bible. In Revelation 6 and verse 17, it says, For the great day of his wrath is come, and who shall be able to stand? Jeremiah 30 and verse 7 said, Alas, for that day is great, so that none is like it. It is even the time of Jacob's trouble, but he shall be saved out of it. And so Armageddon is going to be that great battle that will take place as Satan gathers together the armies of the world to come against the armies of God himself. And we know the end. They will be destroyed. Well, there's a seventh vial in verse number 17 and following. And there are seven great things that took place. Seven great things that took place. First of all, there is a great voice. Verse 17 says, And the seventh angel poured out his vial into the air, and there came a great voice out of the temple of heaven from the throne, saying, It is done. It is done. What is done? Well, the separation of the wheat from the chaff or the saved from the unsaved during the tribulation takes place. Each has either the mark of the beast or the seal of God in their foreheads. What is done? The battlefield has been chosen in Megiddo by both sides. What is done? The whole world will align itself against Israel. What is done? The 144,000 have been redeemed, and the greatest revival of all time has already come to pass. What is done? Hell has been unlocked and has moved against Jesus at his coming. What is done? All of Israel has looked upon the one whom they have pierced and wounded for everyone's transgression and bruised from everyone, for everyone's iniquity. What is done? God's temple has seen enough. There's going to be no more groups of judgments after this. It's the time of Armageddon. It's the hour of Armageddon. And God says, it is done. There's a great voice. And then there's a great earthquake in verse 18. And there were voices and thunders and lightning, and there was a great earthquake such as was not since men were upon the earth so mighty an earthquake and so great. We've heard of some pretty powerful quakes, haven't we? God says there's one yet to come that is greater than any that has ever taken place. And then there's a great city in verse number 19. He says, And the great city was divided into three parts, and the cities of the nations fell, and great Babylon came in remembrance before God to give unto her the cup of the wine of the fierceness of his wrath. The great city. And also the great Babylon is a part of that in verse number 19. So you have the great earthquake, the great city, the great Babylon. Fifthly, you have a great urban destruction. He says again in verse 19, the great city is divided into three parts. The cities of the nations fell. And great Babylon came in remembrance. There's going to be a great urban destruction. And then there's also a great topographical changes that are going to take place. Verse number 20 says, And every island fled away, and the mountains were not found. 
talk about some great things that are going to take place. And you would think again, as people would see all of this, that they would cry out to the Lord in repentance, but they did not. In verse 21, there's a great hailstorm. It says, And there fell upon men a great hail out of heaven, every stone about a weight of a talent. A talent is about a hundred pounds. Can you imagine a hailstone hitting you that weighed a hundred pounds? I've heard of hailstones that, that were the size of marbles. Sometimes you'll hear some about the size of lemons. Once in a while you'll hear big hailstones like the size of softballs. But this is going to be a huge stale. Can you imagine getting hit with something that falls out of the sky that's 100 pounds? You're not going to live to tell about it, right? And there's going to be much destruction that's going to take place on this earth as a result of all of that. A great, great hailstorm that takes place. And he says there, there fell a great, the great hail upon men, a great hail out of heaven, every stone the weight of a talent. And men blaspheme God because of the plague of the hail for the plague thereof was exceeding great. They blaspheme against God. Still, they don't turn to God. Still, man does not repent. Men do not cry out to God and say, we're sorry, forgive us, and repent. They still, instead, they blaspheme God because of the plague. I want to remind you that the admonition of verse 15 applies to all of us. If you'll look back there with me. Jesus said, Behold, I come as a thief. Blessed is he that watcheth and keepeth his garments, lest he walk naked and they see his shame. We are to be watching because Jesus Christ may return at any moment. He could return tonight. You remember that these judgments are taking place during the tribulation period. That means the rapture has taken place and we have been called out to be with the Lord. Aren't you glad we do not have to go through these judgments? Amen? If you're saved... You don't have to go through If you're not saved, you should be afraid. You should cry out to the Lord. Don't do like these folks and blaspheme God. Turn to the Lord and repent. And those of us who have turned to Him and repented, He tells us to watch. He tells us we're to keep our lives clean. We're to watch for His coming. We're to be faithful to Him until He does come. And that coming could be any moment. He could come tonight. Are you ready? Are you watching? In fact, the Lord tells us that there's, a, there's a, a reward, a crown that He has for those that look for His coming. May God help us to look and to watch for His coming that could take place at any moment. Let's bow our heads together in prayer. Father, thank You for Your Word. Thank You for the warning of these judgments that are given to us. Thank You that as believers we'll not suffer through that. We'll be in heaven We'll be with you. We won't have to deal with it. But Lord, there are many that don't know you. Would you fill our hearts with compassion, with care, with concern? Would you help us to do our part to warn others that they would come to know you before it's eternally too late? Help us, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand together with me as we sing our song of invitation tonight? All to Jesus I surrender. And as we sing tonight, maybe the Lord's speaking to you and you would say, Preacher, I know I'm not going to have to go through that, but I know that the rapture hasn't taken place yet. I'm still to be watching and looking. 
Maybe you say tonight, I haven't been watching. Maybe you've never trusted him. You're not ready for him to come back. We invite you to come and give your life to him. As a Christian, if there's some things in your life that you would be embarrassed and ashamed if you faced the Lord and he came back tonight, perhaps you'd like to come and make some things right with the Lord. Maybe a number of us would like to come and kneel here at this altar tonight and say, Lord, I have some loved ones that are not saved yet. Help me to do my best. Give me wisdom. Give me opportunities. Help me to be able to reach them before it's too late. May God help us never to stop warning. Amen? And pointing people to the Lord Jesus Christ. If God's speaking to you as we sing on this invitation song, we invite you to come and just do business with the Lord as we sing tonight. Would you sing with me on that first verse? All to Jesus I surrender, all to Him I freely give. I will ever love and trust Him in His presence daily. couple of announcements tonight after the service we have a vacation bible school workers meeting if you'll meet right down front over here on this side for just a few moments we have some material we need to give to you and things to get ready for bibles for vacation bible school also the college and career have a activity downstairs after the bible school meeting thursday night is ladies fellowship of course wednesday night is prayer meeting and thursday night the ladies fellowship we invite you to be a part of that uh, some of the ladies have a sewing fellowship at 5.30 and then the ladies meeting at 7 o'clock. And so we remind you of that. And then just a week from tomorrow, we start Vacation Bible School. I believe there's still a stack of flyers out there on the, on the Welcome Center 
uh, are on the, on the stand there beside it. You can take some of those, invite folks to come. We've had a lot of areas. By the way, thank you to those of you who came yesterday morning and helped us get out the, the uh, door hangers and, and uh, information about the church and Bible school and appreciate your help with that. And uh, we'll be doing that again uh, at our Great Commission Day on July the 23rd. That won't be Bible school, but we'll be keeping, keep on getting out the, the uh, John and Romans and the uh, information about our addictions ministry and the church and so forth. So we'll be doing that again on the 23rd. And then don't forget our, our uh, International Fellowship of Fundamental Baptists. We'll be meeting here on August the 1st, the 2nd, and the 3rd, and we'll have a number of preachers from across the country they will be coming in for that and I hope you'll be praying for that I hope you'll volunteer and help with some of the different things that we'll need help for during those three days and we'll be looking forward to a, to a great time we've enjoyed that I think we've done that twice before had it here in our church and we've all loved it and enjoyed it get to hear the a number of different speakers and it'll be a blessing to you it's not just for the preachers everybody's invited to be a part of that and on, on Tuesday and Wednesday, we'll serve lunch for our guests, so we'll need some help uh, with food and various things like that. And so keep that in mind as well. We also have a need of some nursery workers for during the Friday night uh, addictions ministry, the R&R program. And so if you can help with that, see Brother Tony or Krista and let them know that you're able to help with that as well. For our offertory tonight... Jessica Reisinger is going to play for us, and if you have not yet had the opportunity to put your offering in, you can do that while she's playing the offertory tonight.
Jessica, we appreciate so much the good job that you do and all of our, mission, our uh, musicians do. Thank you for that tonight. Let's stand together for a closing word of prayer. And let me remind the uh, folks that are involved in Vacation Bible School, if you'll meet down front here or meet over here on this side, pray for Kristen Miller. She, as, as we mentioned this morning, has uh, tested positive for COVID, and she's feeling a little bit better, I think, today. I think Craig's going to sneak in here and help us with the uh, meeting tonight with Bible School, so you may want to sit back three or four rows so you're not real close to him, but... Uh, uh, they're kind of been quarantining their family, so keep them in your prayers if you would. And then we have some folks traveling. Clarence and Diana are going to be traveling this week, and I think some others are traveling. So pray for safety and protection. Okay. For food for VBS. Okay. If you can help with bringing various things for the food, we serve food for the kids each night and. Sign-up sheet on the on the uh, welcome center back there. Thank you, Nikki, for reminding us of that. And if you can sign up and help out with that, we would appreciate it. Brother Ken, come and lead us in our closing prayer, please, sir. And uh, how many days? Eight. Eight. Ken has eight days, eight working days till he retires. So uh, keep him in your prayers. God bless you. Let's pray, Father. We do thank you, Lord, for the warnings in your book. Let it steer our hearts to be a greater witness for you, to be more concerned for the lost and dying in the world, mostly, Lord, in our families. And just use us as we go out this week to be a witness and a, and a help to folks in need. Thank you, Father, for our pastor to stand so firm on your word and preaches the truth of it and doesn't shirk his duty as your man. Thank you for this church for the faithfulness of so many workers. We do pray, Father, for Vacation Bible School, for safety and protection, and, Father, for those little kids that we hope and pray will come to use our personal Savior, and that, Lord, we can reach them and reach their families through this outreach. Please be at the mocks as they travel. Keep them safe and protect them. Be with Brother Ted and his health, Miss Joe as she teaches, Father, and use her in a mighty way. We love you and we thank you for the blessings in our life. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.